This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of December 14th, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 305 of Defender Radio. Shock collars are inherently inhumane and potentially traumatizing devices used to gain specific reactions from dogs. And for a long time, their use was supported by trainers and veterinarians. But science and the mass combined experience of top trainers have shown them for what they really are and revealed more effective, humane methods of training. The band Shock Collars movement was introduced to you in an episode last season, but there are some pretty exciting updates to share, not the least of which is that their e-petition is the first to be formally recognized in Canadian history. Any Canadian resident can sign this petition, and you just need to follow the links on this week's blog, or hit up bandshockcollars.ca to find it. The group has also gained the support of Olympic figure skater Megan Duhamel and iconic Canadian environmentalist and activist David Suzuki. On this week's episode, we're talking with Bandshockcollars.ca spokesperson Lucas Soloway about the movement, the petition, and why Canadians need to get involved. We're also hearing from renowned dog behavior expert, trainer, and best-selling author Gene Donaldson about the pitfalls of shock collars and what alternatives exist. Let's get started. Lucas Soloway is no stranger to animal advocacy, and it's great news that he's now working with banned shock callers as a spokesperson. He recently joined Defender Radio to provide a rundown on the history of the movement, how the e-petition is going to make history in Canada, and why dog lovers should educate themselves, their families, and their friends about the importance of banning shock callers. So how how did the the band shot callers movement really begin? What what's the brief story there? Um, this amazing couple based out of Burnaby, um, British Columbia, Alfie and uh, Gwendy Williams, they um, learned about the the shocking industry of uh, electric shock collars on pets, and they were shocked that it was legal, and they decided that they wanted to do something about it. So. Um, bandshockcollars.ca was born and that website has year over 10 years of information and research um, and uh, they went to parliament a couple times and tried to get it banned uh, unfortunately to no avail um, but now uh, here we are in 2015 um, pushing for a uh, change through uh, an e-petition. And it is the actual first e-petition ever in Canada, uh, as it turns out. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting new times. I'm, I'm happy that the government's moved in this direction. It will allow um, Canadian citizens and nonprofits uh, to speak up and try and bring about change in Parliament. Um, and uh, luckily... Uh, we were actually the first e-petition in Canadian history, so um, that's uh, that's exciting news for us. Absolutely, and I, I guess uh, I, I've spoken with Gene Donaldson, who will be uh, heard from after our talk. Um, people are going to be curious, though, from the, the more political side of this. Um, is banning an item really a way to stop people from using it, or, or really stop the thought process that this is acceptable? 
Um, I think it's, you know, a little bit of both through raising awareness with this campaign uh, on the route of calling for a ban uh, is just a great way to get this issue um, in people's minds and, you know, to uh, let them know that um, it's not just um, physical pain, but shock collars are capable of inducing stress, fear, and emotional damage, um, as well as the pain itself. So shock collars are never okay. And uh, we're hoping that people will become more educated as we run this campaign, but that they'll also um, take action and uh, sign our petition calling for a ban. This, this is an odd one that came up. I, I reached out to a lot of folks I know in the dog training and uh, agility and everything and asked them, what do you think of this, uh, you know, sign the petition, etc. cetera. Um, and I had a few people sort of send me a couple of questions. And when I first heard them, I thought that's silly. Then I thought about them and realized people are genuinely curious about these things. And one of them was, is the banning of e-callers or shock callers the the first sort of uh, salvo in the attempt to remove companion animals because there are people out there who don't think people should have companion animals so is this part of that process or is it just people are you know saying you want to get rid of apples keep my oranges <laughs> well we're not calling for anything drastic we're we're dog lovers cat lovers uh we think uh, pets should be in great homes uh, with loving families, but not being shocked. Um, so, so we're uh, we're just calling simply for a ban on the the use and sale of electric shock collars. And people who do want to get involved in this, obviously, you can uh, you can visit banshockcollars.ca. There's a ton of great information in there. You guys have all done a great job putting that together. There's links to the online petition. But what else can people be doing uh, in terms of getting the message out? There's so many great ways. If you find us on Facebook, um, if you search Band Shock Callers, on Twitter, our handle is End Shock Callers, and on Instagram, we're Band Shock Callers. Uh, so if you search for us on social media, you can retweet our messages or share a message with a friend. You can also take a selfie with your dog or cat um, and uh, just use the hashtag #BanShockCollars on social media and encourage people to join you in signing the petition. Um, you can also contact your MP and say, you know, this is an issue that I I believe in, and I've signed the petition. When it comes to your attention, will you support a ban on electric shock collars? Perfect. Is there anything else you wanted to get out? Um, just you know, it. There's so many. You know, the average Canadian uh, is against cruelty to animals. And I'm not saying that anyone who uses a, a shock collar is supporting cruelty to animals um, knowingly or intentionally. It's just, it's it's about awareness and education. And uh, there's so many amazing alternatives to using these uh, shock collars uh, on our website, bandshockcollars.ca. There's a whole list of amazing resources, uh, trainers that use uh, amazing, cruelty-free, completely humane training methods, which are um, very effective. Um, and uh, but yeah, I hope I really hope that people can get involved. They can learn more, and uh, they can help us uh, ban shock collars. We're trying to get a hundred thousand signatures by April. So if you can um, lend your support just by 
signing the petition or if you can do more by sharing the message with a friend, it's greatly appreciated. To learn more about the petition, the movement, and those behind it, visit bandshawcollars.ca. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. After a night out with your friends, there are always options for getting home safely. You could call your BFF, take a cab, or maybe you'll grab the last bus. Now there's a smartphone app to help you choose your ride. Find out more at arrivealive.org. Over 3 million animals are killed each year in Canada for their fur. This holiday season, why not give the gift of hope to Canada's wildlife by calling 604-435-1850 and giving a holiday gift today. The Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals works to protect wildlife in Canada. Call 604-435-1850 and please, give generously. Give a voice to the animals who can't speak for themselves by calling 604-435-1850. This is Defender Radio. There's an awful lot of signs that show shock collars are bad, and there's a lot of trainers who refuse to use them. But many people, from consumers to owners of dog training schools, think they still have a place in our world. Gene Donaldson, a renowned dog behavior expert, trainer, and best-selling author, took time to not only discuss these issues, but to answer questions directly from you, our listeners and supporters, about shock collars and why we should ban them. I, I think to start, what needs to be discussed is the types of training that exist. Because when I first started reading about training and stuff, it got very confusing very quickly. Because especially when people use the shorthand, because there's positive punishment, positive reinforcement, negative punishment, negative reinforcement, right. aversion conditioning, and all these right. other terms. Yeah. So I th- I think really we're going to be talking about two primary things, and one of them is shock collars, and one of them I- is what's called positive reinforcement treat training. It has various names. So how do you kind of define those different terms for, for people just sort of in the layman's terms? Shock collars are used for a variety of purposes. Um, they can be used to teach dogs to do things by applying the shock continuously until the dog does the thing. It's basically, you know, when you were a kid and somebody twisted your arm to make you say uncle, it was like, ow, 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 until you said uncle, and then they stopped the pressure. Okay, and that's one of the thing, ways that they can be used. And this is in practical everyday terms. I mean, people use these, hunters use these to teach gun dogs to take dummies and to fetch ducks and so on. That's the most common application in the real world. Um, it's also used 
to punish dogs for doing stuff. So the dog is doing something that you want less of. So the dog is barking. The dog is, uh, you know, going somewhere, going into a room, jumping up. It doesn't matter. And you shock the dog so that he gets that consequence. Oh, wow, that really hurt. I'm not going to do that again. Okay, and that's the punishment application. And then the, the other one that, that you mentioned was aversion training to teach dogs to be afraid of stuff. So, for instance, if you want a dog to fear snakes, you could do a Pavlovian, you know, the way that Pavlov did it way back at the beginning of the last century, where you take the dog, show him a snake, and then apply an electric shock, and you can actually install an emotion in it. You can install the emotion of fear. Now, it gets a little more wrinkly because when you're trying to do the other stuff, so let's say you're trying to teach the dog to not do something, so not bark, to not enter a room, to not um, do some misbehavior, and you use the shock, you might or might not, depending on how skillfully you do it, and you know whether it's yucky enough, get the dog to stop doing the behavior. But as a side effect, you get the fear, okay? And that's one of the problems. I mean, there's, there's the ethical dilemma of, okay, so is it okay to electrically shock dogs to train them and the consensus pretty much is coming down that no it's not because we don't need to and so you're talking about deciding to you know in a non-necessity situation saying well we're going to you know shock you to to accomplish this goal and by the way you're my best friend <laughs> um, so there's the ethical problem and then there's also the side effect issue which is when you use and it's not just limited to shocks it's anything that hurts or frightens the dog if you're trying to get them to not do something or to do something more and you're using stuff like this and they're called aversive stimuli, stuff that, you know, inflicts pain or extremes of temperature, stuff that makes you basically, you know, worry about life and limb, you can get a fear side effect. And one of the problems in pet dog training is that fear is very hard to fix. It's hard to undo. We can house train dogs with our hands tied behind our backs and we can teach sit and we can teach fetch and all this stuff very easily. One of the things for which we don't have as good technology is fixing fear. And fear can be really devastating. It's devastating for the dog and it can be really devastating for the owner. And because of that, if we are to adopt, like physicians do a first do no harm ethos with our practice, it's really not okay to trade off a nuisance type problem for fear. Okay, so that's sort of the lay of the land right now. Okay, and I guess uh, sort of before, before we really dive into the Q&A, because apparently when you say, hey, I'm going to talk to Gene Donaldson about shock callers, let me know if you have a question, people respond. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I, I want to talk very, very briefly about some of the studies when we talk about shock callers, because people, this, I find there's a big divide between what the science is showing and the real world application. Mm -hmm. um, so the studies to me as a layperson, as someone without the education to properly and fully read some of these studies, they seem pretty convincing that, you know, using an aversive device will cause fear or aggression, can exasperate existing fear and aggression, even though it may achieve the behavior results you want. Uh, so before we start talking about real world, is the science on this, in your eyes, conclusive at this point? All the research to date, uh, and that's on shock and on other stuff that, that is also aversive that's non-shock, suggests 
um, that not only do you get outcomes such as um, stress indicators. So if you say, well, actually the dog copes with it really fine. If you look at things like blood cortisol, you look at sort of objective measures of stress, these things really do stress dogs. And that actually is in line with our intuition. If you were uh, a third grader and you're trying to learn times tables and we decide, well, we're going to use electric shock to motivate you, you might expect that to be stressful and detrimental to a kid. And we're finding that that's the same thing with dogs. Vis-a-vis -vis the fear, yeah, there's also so far, um, and I'm sure more research is going to be done. That's one thing that science does really well is it replicates, it looks at existing research and says, well, how can we, you know, replicate this? How can we, you know, get more at the question? Let's do another study. Let's do another study. And we gradually inch our way towards better and better and more robust conclusions. So far, the jury is saying, yeah, you get some pretty, you know, rotten side effects, um, and it's, you know, and dogs are very stressed. And that kind of also is, you would expect those two things to go hand in hand. So, so far, the research is pretty unequivocal. All right. Um, so, as I said, I, I got a lot of Q&As, and, and I figured this might be an interesting way of going through this, and I think it'll really open up yeah. some of the 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 other sort of side conversations. So, I, I wrote all of these down. I typed them, actually, because I can't read my own handwriting. Um and I thought we'd go through these. Uh, the first one, and some of these I think are very reasonable questions, and that's what makes them mm -hmm. so interesting to me. Right. Uh, some trainers have shock collars or e-collars in their toolbox, but only for extreme cases following efforts to use other methods. Shouldn't they be allowed to keep that option? Well, I mean, that's a, that is a good question. So there's a couple of answers there, and one is, is there any, you know, what's the limit to which we would say, yeah, actually, you know, because somebody's already doing something um, and they're trying other stuff before they do it, is there anything that we would say is not okay? So in other words, the more general question, would it be okay to hack a dog's leg off? Would it be okay to strangle a dog till he becomes unconscious? Would it be okay to use hot pokers provided the wound heals, etc.? And everybody, there's a point at which people say, that's that's absolutely not okay. But you say, well, what if you tried everything else? So that more general question, uh, which is, a, you know, always a problem in ethics, of, is, is do the means, does the end justify the means? And for some people, because they're used to using shock and they don't want to believe that they're unethical people, it's very hard for them to sort of think, well, what if, you know, is this, th this can't possibly not be okay because I'm doing it and I know I'm a good person. So there's the issue there. And that one is a, a, an interesting discussion. Um, and so what we're sort of proposing is that electric shock actually is not okay. Um, even though some people who, who are, are probably fine people are doing it, you know, what we're saying is actually, no, that one's not okay. Uh, it's not okay to do that. In terms of the, well, I, I've exhausted all of their means, I guess what I would put forward is how do those people account for the many thousands of practitioners who do not have to resort to shock and have comparable um, cases, comparable difficulty? That should inform us that it is possible um, to achieve these outcomes without electric shock. And that, to me, should have people who are routinely resorting to electric shock or occasionally resorting to electric shock should be asking themselves, geez, maybe 
maybe I need to up my game at non-shock, non-aversive means. And, and then how do we communicate that to people? Which is actually, interestingly enough, the next question on my list. Um, because we've got the study, we've got the, the real world examples. How do we tell people this? Well, if it becomes legislation, that's going to be you know, a way of telling people this. Um, and so I think one of the initially what will happen, um, as has happened in other jurisdictions where shock has been banned, um, is initially some people are going to be very upset about it. They, you know, some people because they think that, okay, you know, this is going to cause, you know, dogs to be euthanized and death and children are going to be bitten. And that has turned out not to be the case. So they're going to have to then wrestle. And they probably some people will end up wrestling with their conscious with their conscience, um, just like in all sort of change, you know, there are people who are early adopters, there are people who take some going, you know, so people who are ending up to be legislated into it are going to have some cognitive dissonance because they're going to end up probably doing a reasonable job. They're going to have to up their game um, and they're going to have to acknowledge that, well, okay, the, the, the sky didn't fall. And that's going to, that's a, it's a tough, I mean, I, I feel for them because it's a tough psychological place to be in to say, okay, so I was doing something and I was lobbying for something that actually was unnecessary, actually detrimental and actually inhumane. And that's, that's tough. Um, and, and by no means are these people not good people. They're good people. They just, they're stuck. They, they, re they don't see how they can get the outcomes without electric shock or they, they're not seeing the stress or it's probably different in every case. Um, and, and I know because I was there, I mean, in the, in the 70s and, 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 and for the early 80s, I was training using aversives. And I think at that time, had somebody said to me, you know, you have to train like this, I certainly would have felt defensive too. Um, you know, if somebody tells you, you know, and you're doing your best, somebody tells you that you're doing something that's unnecessary and unethical, um, I, I, anybody's first response would be, hey, wait a second, um, don't be telling me I'm, I'm not a good person and, and, you know, you're full of garbage. Um, and so I do feel for, I mean, I see where they're coming from um, and, and it's not an easy place to be. Banning a product can drive its use or its purchasing underground. And especially in Canada, as you know, we're right along the border. Uh, so for me, it's, it's a 20-minute drive to Buffalo. So would banning the shock callers uh, in Canada, could, could that lead it to being underground? And would it be better to then regulate the sales or use of the shock callers to trainers, or is getting them off the shelves and removing that accessibility more important. I mean, you know, I think any time that there's sort of people who really want to do something, um, and you make it illegal, it, it will drive it drive it underground. Um, and so, and I don't think the solution there is to say, well, it's actually okay to do it then. Um, you know, it's kind of like anything from, you know, cocaine to, um, you know, uh, owning assault rifles. I mean, if there are places where you're not allowed to own assault, I mean, I'm, I'm living in the U.S., but you know, if there are places where you're not allowed to own, I don't know, rocket launchers um, or uh, you're not allowed to use red hot pokers on children, there's still children who, people who beat their children. There's still people who beat their wives. Um and so you can't say, well, let's keep it legal to not drive them underground. They're going to, of course, try to evade the law. I don't think, personally, I don't think the solution there is to say, well, actually, then let's not make it illegal if something really is societally not okay. Um, and so just like 
it used to be considered okay to beat your wife. It used to be considered okay to, you know, beat your children. Um, and now we're, 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 you know, progressing there. We're also progressing when it comes to dog training and the same arguments, which used to apply, which was, well, you know, it's really not that bad and it's really necessary. And, and it's, you know, uh, the same arguments are being put forward. Um, and so I, I, I'm not sure that that's a good argument. I'm a little concerned that you so quickly went to red hot pokers on children. Yeah. Well, electric shock is pretty nasty. Would you use electric shock on a third grader? I, I, I'm not the best person to ask that because I got dogs for a reason. Right. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, if you decide that electric shock is okay when it's not necessary, might we use it? I mean, it would, it would, people would blanch, you know, I mean, there's going to come a day when we look back and we say, oh my God, we used to electrically shock dogs, you know, and, and I do think that's going to happen. It's just that right now, I think there's a lot of people who they're just, they're adapted, they're habituated to it. Um, and they're, they're, you know, they're, 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 you know, and I think it's going to help everybody if we, you know, get beyond that. People will be more sensitive and think, you know what, that actually, boy, it, you know, I used to think that it actually wasn't so bad and, and, you know, well, they're coping okay. But those same arguments have been used historically on stuff that later on we look back on in horror. I guess uh, this this one's kind of an interesting one, too. I got into this discussion uh, while I was waiting for you because you didn't have Skype turned on properly and I wept. <laughs> and I, I, I was talking with a friend of mine who, who's a sociologist uh, in the U.S. And she said, isn't a typical leash and collar being pulled on by a dog also causing pain or discomfort? And, it, of course, I'm paraphrasing a bit because I'm not as smart. But more or less what the, the question is aren't we still using pain and discomfort to a degree in a lot of day-to-day -day things? You know, that's a really good point that um, if, it, you know, if, it, you, if you have a leash and collar on a dog and the dog pulls, it, it's probably less comfortable than not pulling. It's, it's kind of like saying, you know, occasionally children fall and hurt themselves. Well, therefore, is it okay to push children over? You know, there's a difference, I think, between something that sometimes happens that we would prefer to not happen versus, well, let's, let's codify it as a means of education. Um, you know, if children sometimes put their hands into sockets, that doesn't mean that now we're going to use electric shock. So I think the example of, well, sometimes, you know, dogs pull um, and, and we, you know, you know, okay, we need to have leashes and collars because the alternative is that they're going to run amok. We, and by the way, you can use harnesses um, and there are harnesses that are anti-pull that just change the point of leverage that don't put any, exert any pressure on the dog's neck. Um you know, and how thick is the collar and, and, and you actively doing it and a question of degree. Um, and so I, I don't think that saying, well, electric shock is not okay is a slippery slope to saying, well, we can't possibly put collars and leashes on dogs. Um, that sounds like sort of, a, you know, an attempt at, at, at a debate point that when you give it some scrutiny doesn't really hold up. Uh, and I, I use a, uh, a, I can't remember what they're called, but it, it is a front attach harness for JJ, my hound mix, because she, she pulls. It's that simple. And she's big. Yeah, she's, she's 60 pounds. So, you know, she, when she puts her weight behind it, cause she wants to go sniff yeah. that, um, yeah. if she's on anything other than that harness, it will hurt her, but her, her, yeah. her drive, especially her prey drive to get yeah. to something is much greater. Yes. 
than her, yeah. her noticing the discomfort of that leash and collar. So I have to yeah. put myself in the situation where I'm going to do my very best to prevent her from doing that. But if she does, yeah. it's going to cause the least harm. Yep. Yeah. That And that is the goal, the least harm. What have we got available to us that's going to cause the least harm to reach the objectives that we need to reach? And are those objectives uh, informed by more than just human convenience? Yeah. Well, and that's like when I was talking to you about one of the other dogs, the Chihuahua, who alarm barks. And you said the, the, the excellent point, which really made me stop to think, is she has been bred. Her, her genes for hundreds of years were alarm bark. Yep. That's in her to do. And it would be akin to you saying to me, no more whiskey. And we did it. I mean, we we did it. I mean, we bred dogs down to tiny sizes. We bred health problems in dogs. We bred, um, you know, a lot of the behaviors into dogs. And then we say, well, actually, you know what? I kind of don't want that. So bad luck for you. Very dirty trick. Plus, I think she would murder me in my sleep. <laughs> um. And this this one I thought was I I this was from uh, uh, Dana who lives in uh, West Summer I don't know it's not Ontario so it doesn't matter but um, it's a very interesting point and I'm going to bring this up when I speak with the uh, the folks behind this movement as well is the banning of shock collars an animal rights move as opposed to animal welfare and will this lead down the slippery slope to the feared no companion animals dream that some hold? So the the idea that we yeah. should not have any companion animals at all. Oh no, I don't think I don't see that at all. That's crazy. I mean, I mean the UK, which which does not allow tail docking, um, they're dog mad. I mean, they're crazy about their dogs. So in other words, so am I understanding that their 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 argument is that stopping. Um, cosmetic amputations is the first step towards not having dogs. Yeah, that's that's the the logic that is put forward. I don't, I don't, I don't even see the logic in theory there, let alone agree with it. I don't, I, I think that's crazy. But I, I, you know, again, I mean, I don't want to impugn anybody's motives, but I, I don't get it. Okay, uh, that's the official response. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I'd say the same thing about the people in your state who support uh, Donald Trump, but. Oh, not, but don't, don't be pointing no fingers at me there, Michael. <laughs> I accept no responsibility for Donald Trump. All right. And I've got the, the last question before we do a couple of quick scenarios is a Kate question. So we both have to pay special attention to it. Um, and this is one that she, she frequently brings up for me, uh, which I appreciate her reminding me of. Um, there are a lot of people who are familiar with your work and your books or people who have similar theories, such as, you know, Ian Dunbar, um, so this conversation isn't new, but there's a lot of people who aren't familiar with not only the, the very concept of positive reinforcement, but all of the work behind it. And again, I mean, you and I can sit here and say, remember that study when, but you know, for those folks who aren't familiar with all this, where's a good starting point in terms of the learning theory and, and simply getting their toes wet? Getting their toes, that's a good question. You know, if they've got a dog, they may want to enroll in a competently run, um, you know, positive reinforcement dog class. I mean, it used to be, I don't know, if you, did you ever do obedience classes way back, like 20 or 30 years ago, by any chance? Yeah, I, I, I did with uh, the family pet about 25 years ago. And did, and did were you might marching around, jerking the dog, and marching around <laughs> yeah. and square the whole time? It, you know, and it used to be, I mean, it was really grim stuff, you know, and a lot of people's, I, a lot of people have who had those experiences became came to avoid dog trainers because they thought that we were kind of these 
kind of scowling school marms who were going to sort of say, damn, the dog can't be on the bed and the dog can't do this and the dog can't do that. And by the way, let's jerk him and make him march around in a square for an hour. Um, and modern dog classes are much more sophisticated um, and they're more about really teaching the owner sort of some principles and stuff. So that might be sort of a place, especially for people who are not readers, they're more doers. The uh, really good book to read, there's one called Karen Pryor and she's a marine mammal trainer. It's called Don't Shoot the Dog very readable it's not strictly about dogs it's about um and and and, and caveat um about i mean the marine mammal thing which is i i don't i am not on board with the idea of marine mammals in captivity i think that's that's that should be just outlawed completely and karen Pryor was a dolphin trainer but if you can if you can grit your teeth through sort of that part and just look at the the training part um, it applies to everything from interpersonal relationships to re child rearing to uh, and especially animal training. So I think that's a good that's a good uh, gateway <laughs> into the world of positive reinforcement training. <laughs> Next thing you know, they'll be staying up late at night. That's right. Selling their bodies for a copy of Skinner. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there there are many. There are a lot of books out there, but I think that's a really good good one to start with. And I also have to strongly recommend uh, Culture Wars, one of your books, oh, uh, which is, and I think, yeah. Culture Clash, I'm sorry, yes, which is, I think, is like more dogs, printing now. Culture Clash is more dog specific. Um, if yes. you want sort of something broad, don't shoot the dog, is it? And also, I mean, Karen Pryor is more of a good cop. In Culture Clash, which I wrote in 1996, I was taking a bit more of a, you know, it, it, the tone is, is deliberately a little bit more provocative, and that's not everybody's mm -hmm. cup of tea. Well, that's why I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, that's you. <laughs> yes, this is true. Um, okay, so there's there is three scenarios I want to go through, and these are three that I have seen in the last 48 hours come up um, since I first uh, heard about the new uh, new petition, and since uh, uh, I started asking people about it. So the first one is a dog who is over 100 pounds has a very high prey drive, and on walks will drag the owner or walker into traffic to get at a squirrel. They say that all attempts at positive reinforcement methods have failed and only a shot collar has worked. So how do you manage that situation? Um, I would be inclined to use a head halter personally. Um, it's the same device that we use to control, you know, uh, 1500 pound horses. So that can do it mechanically. And by the way, I mean, it, you know, because you don't want to be saying to people also, there's a safety issue here, which is, if you say to somebody, okay, therefore use electric shock, there are a good many dogs who are going to say, damn the, damn the pain, um, I'm still going to go. So that may not work either. Um, and so you really want to have better mechanical control. Um, and so I, I worry a little bit about the other thing, of course, if you if you've got an animal who's already kind of really amped up and you apply pain, that's sometimes when animals will will redirect and you get pretty nasty bite. Um, so for a bunch of reasons, um, I'm not wild about uh, electric shock in that scenario. Um, and of course, part of that is if I don't do this, the dog will die. Very, very literally, people believe that this dog will be euthanized if, if. I think that's an attempt. That's an attempt at resolution of cognitive dissonance. Um, that's just not borne out by the facts. Unfortunately, you know, there, there, 
there's too many people out there doing it without shock. There's actually entire countries and states and so on out there doing it without shock. Um, and dogs are, are actually not dying. So that one, you know, I understand that that's sort of a psychological necessity that, you know, in other words, I don't want to do this. The only reason I'm doing this is to save the dog's life. I, um, they hopefully will be happy to hear that it's not a dichotomy. They don't have to. That In fact, that's a very old false dichotomy. They, well, I've got to use aversives or he's going to die. No, it's actually you can get the job done without aversives. Um, and hopefully you'll be really happy to hear that. It is. It does mean you're going to have to retool yourself, um, but that it's just it's just not true. Well, and that reminds me of some of the R plus training I, I have participated in where I am told very clearly, it's not so much about teaching your dog, it's about teaching you how to teach your dog. You've got to get good at it. Yeah, it's not just about being, I mean, people sort of have this idea that you're just rewarding everything and it's being permissive. No, it's very techie. Um, you've got to be able to do it. Um, but it's completely, completely uh, effective. I mean, it's incredibly effective. Um, uh, it's just, you know, it's a question of mindset. I think it's, Human psychology is part of the issue here, um, and, and it, it's very tough to, to get up in the morning and say, I'm a good person, I love dogs, I shock dogs. That doesn't add up. Therefore, it must be I, I have to shock dogs. Um, and for to have that psychological rug pulled out, to say actually you don't have to shock dogs, you're doing it electively, is very tough for people. I, I just don't see a way around it if we're too advanced. Right, I think it's also appropriate. I don't know if I've told you about this one. I may have, uh, but when I was a kid, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago uh, when you asked about the old school training, we had a golden retriever uh, when I was a kid. And uh, the dog was it was a bit nasty with everyone except for me, so sister and both my parents. And one night, uh, coming inside, was carrying a stone, and my mom went to take the stone from him. Uh, and as you know, and a lot of listeners will know, retrievers are considered the ones with a soft mouth. Um, mm -hmm. He dropped the stone, and my mom ended up with over 100 stitches in her one hand. Oh, my. Um, and, of course, immediately there's people, you know, the, the breeder saying, well, we got to try a different kind of training. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Other trainers and experts at the time were saying, we've got to do this. You've got to do that. Uh, you know, my parents gave the dog back to the breeder. Uh, the breeder eventually took him to the vet. The vet got bit. They put the dog down. Interestingly, yeah. necropsy revealed, and this is something uh, Yvette Van Veen and I have talked about um, from Awesome Dogs, is... Uh, he had a tumor pressing against his mm. brain and mm. no amount of training of any kind mm -hmm. would ever resolve that. Oof. So there's sometimes when there is an underlying medical condition that's undiagnosed that yeah. leads to irrational behavior. And yeah. that's when I, I get afraid of positive punishment being used because no amount, like to the point of killing him, would have yeah. turned off this behavior. Yeah. Oh, God, what an awful situation. And by the way, um, what they won't tell you, the, you know, some of the aversive proponents, is that they're advising euthanasia all over the place, too. Um, so this whole idea that it's, it's aversives or death, I cannot tell you how many of my students and grads get cases where somebody has been through three or four trainers um, including aversives trainers and been told, no, can't help you, can't help you. And then the competent trainer, uh, you know, who happens to be positive reinforcement trainer does save the day. Um, and so, but they, but the thing is they're, they're not, 
they're not they don't have their backs to the wall so they're not going around saying you know it's positive reinforcement or death <laughs> you know what i'm saying you don't hear that parallel argument um because we're nobody's saying oh my god it's unethical to use treats praise toys and play to train dogs so they're not feeling the need to defend themselves so they don't have to resort to kind of these these stunts to to, to defend it uh but that sort of situation happens it happens regularly yeah and there, there are a couple of trainers uh who are on television that we both know who actually regularly say uh you can't feed your dogs make them do what you want and it's unethical to to, to do this and um you know i can't fix your dog using my methods therefore you should euthanize so you know it's yes. it's just yes. crazy but it's true um so yeah uh, what the next scenario uh we kind of went off on a tangent on that one um was uh and this this again uh is very peculiar that very peculiar peculiar i can't say peculiar Pecu peculiar thank you i don't why can't i say that word i, I talk I, for I, a living. my mother could ne my mother could never say the word salmon salmon <laughs> salmon well, I, I can say salmon so i'm one up on your mom um don't feel don't feel bad <laughs> um so the, the this situation specifically i have heard many times and it brings in the electric fence concept so you've got a dog with a with a moderate to high prey drive uh is very vocal uh, when uh, unallowed to to wander, and and of course it's a rural property, so the dog is kind of expected to just you know follow around the owner as chores are done, as work is done. Um, so isn't it better to use a shock collar or electric fence a few times rather than have the dog live their entire life on a chain or in a crate where they're constantly crying or unhappy? Good grief! Are those, those are the only options, are they? So training training a recall or me. <laughs> Out of the question. Well, you know, again, that's that's where you get that that's where you get that high prey drive in there, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, boy, where do you start? Um, it, it's a little bit like arguing with 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 second graders. Um, it's this or this. Well, um, you can teach dogs to come when called. You can use actual fences. Um, you can actually teach dogs to come when called off. Off items. If they absolutely will not, if that fails, you could, you know, at the time when there's the prey around, mechanically, you know, stop the dog from from doing something. I mean, you know, it, it's it's just it, it just is very facile to say, well, the dog is on a chain, or we shock him. I mean, it's a kind of a, a it's really hard to know even how to reply. You need, you know, people just. I know they 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 want this maximal convenience where I don't want to actually have to train. I don't want to actually have to put up a fence. I don't actually want to have an animal and do basic responsible things like training and 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 fences. And it's kind of like saying, you know, my kid. I open the door. The kid wanders out, and he wandered into traffic. I, I, we better get a shot collar. Well, maybe keep your door closed. Teach your kid not to, you know, gradually over time to not go into traffic when they're too young. You want to hold their hand, you know. It, 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 the, the, it, it, it's. I'm almost speechless. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I'm the one who gets to say I made you so. Um, yeah. And the last scenario that we had, and this is one that came up uh, yesterday, actually, on a Livestock Guardian Dog forum. And for those who don't know, Livestock Guardian Dogs are not Shepherds or Collies. These are yes. dogs. I think the smallest one is probably a Great Pyrenees. They're Correct. very specifically bred. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a practice that goes back hundreds of years in Europe and Asia. And these are dogs who live with a herd, typically sheep, yeah. uh, sometimes cows, various other uh, animals like that. Yeah, they're and they're socialized to them. It's fascinating. Yes. Um, and, and in this this scenario, this is a rural area, obviously, with a rancher. And the neighbor, who I guess is going to be maybe a kilometer down the road, insists that the rancher use a shock collar to curb the barking at night because it's keeping him or her awake. And I I know the answer to this already because mm -hmm. of Chi-Chi, the Chihuahua. But, mm -hmm. uh, and I think people might be surprised that there's a connection between these giant livestock guardian dogs and my noisy, annoying little Chihuahua. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, and it is, I'm not, I will reiterate the, okay, so we've, we want this, animal to keep you know predators at bay you want to live with the sheep um, and, and part of the way that we deter that is we make them you know uh, easy to socialize to sheep and, and very intolerant of novelty um, willing to sort of put up a fight and you know and, and willing to, to bark at, at predators then when they do the job that we bred them to do well we better shock them so they don't do it um, it, it really is putting the dog in in a situation no win situation we want you to protect livestock but by the way don't do it the way that we bred you to do it uh, because it's inconveniencing the guy down the road um you know now let's say it wasn't the dog doing his job Let, let's say the dog is just out there and he's freaked out or lonely i would say well, we need to address the the you know if there's anxiety driving this or if the dog is you know then we want to get at the root problem it's not enough to say you know somebody is is you know freaking out because you know they're they're they've got an anxiety disorder so the way to fix that is we're going to shock them whenever they you know uh have an anxious reaction it's, it's not a good way to, to address that um so i think we want to get it to the root cause so is this dog barking because he's you know basically uh barking at stimuli to keep them at bay doing his job um or is the dog barking and is it really incessant? Is it, you know, to the point where, or is it possibly as often these things are, is it two neighbors who have got some bad blood and this is, you know, uh, become an issue? This is kind of this, the, the battleground issue. Um, and do we want to, you know, find the, what's going on with the humans there? Um, is it a case of, okay, so this dog, um, you know, we want to teach him to, 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 to do his job differently, which is going to require a bit of investment in time because, of course, we've selectively bred him to do things a certain way. Or is it the dog just sort of, is he kind of just, you know, crazy bark because he's gone crazy with boredom or he's anxious, in which case get at the root cause. Um, I, 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 I'm, again, not willing to resort to, well, yeah, it's easy to press a button and just use electric shock, so I think we, we should just do that because it's inconveniencing me. We're talking about a living being here, um, and just because this living being cannot march um, on Parliament Hill and, and hold placards, doesn't mean that they have completely no sort of that they're they're at the level of you know of an inanimate object and we're talking about electrically shocking a dog for barking which is something that dogs do we may want to 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 just say well it, but it really is inconvenient therefore it's okay mm -hmm. well and my my personal 
answer in this case was a whale song machine at night because they're very soothing and help drown out other sounds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I see, I keep thinking about sort of you know the the things that people might say to say, but you know, fur is really warm. I live in Minnesota, or you know, I live in Northwest Territories, um, and and I really want to wear fur because fur is really warm. So therefore, leg hole traps are fine. You know, if somebody said that to you, you would say, boy, it really is, you know, um, uh, uh, not a valid art. It's just not good enough. We can do better. Yeah. And, I, and I've, I often feel that is the case, is we have to constantly be trying to do better, even when we, we believe we know the solution. And on that note, we've got this petition. As you know, um, Canada, as of last week, is accepting uh, uh, electronic petitions into Parliament for the first time. And the very first petition on the books is to ban shot callers. It is yes. E1. That is the name of this petition. You know, and, and good for Canada. You know, I mean, man, I mean, they're, 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 uh, you know, I, I hope that this, this works. Um, it really ought to. And it's really, uh, um, I mean, it really makes me very proud to be Canadian. Even though you live in the wrong part of the world now. I do live in the wrong part of the world. <laughs> we'll get you back someday. We're working on it. <laughs> To learn more about Jean, visit academyfordogtrainers.com or find her books online or at your local library. I'm proud to be supporting the Ban Shot Callers movement, and I hope you will get behind it too. There's a lot of great information available at the banshotcallers.ca website that shows with impartial impunity why they're ineffective, inhumane, and no longer have a place in our Canada. But that's all the time we have for this week, folks. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.